six verses of scripture all found in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, and if you don't have your Bibles, they're going to have it for you on the screen this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to read first verses 1 through 4 and then we'll drop down and read verses 18 and 19. Second Chronicles chapter 20 in the NIV translation says this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Midianites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Drop down to verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all of the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in what? Worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very what? Loud. Say it loud. Very Say it loud. Very Thank you. Very loud voice. We've been in a series for the last few weeks. I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. And I continue to be there. It was an unplanned series. I find myself week after week, God speaking something new. Last week, I went to study for my Wednesday night class, and the Lord, I had an idea for today, and the Lord dropped this in my spirit and said, no, stop and talk about this first. So I want to preach to you today the fifth message in this unplanned series that we've titled True Worship. Today, we're going to talk about worship under fire. Worship under fire. If you will, one more time, lift your hands toward heaven, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you again for your presence. Thank you for your anointing that's been in this place. We thank you for the worship, and now we thank you for the word. I pray for the next few moments, Lord, that you would remove every hindrance. Lord, everything that would distract us today from hearing and receiving what you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I would not speak with enticing words of men's wisdom, and I wouldn't even speak with any words of my own. But Lord, what would come forth today would be the word of the Lord that you would have me to share. And I ask God that it would come forth in the demonstration of your spirit and with power this morning. Anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you're speaking to us today. And God, ultimately, let us leave this place today with a new revelation of what it looks like to worship and praise you even when we're under fire. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance for what you're going to do in and through your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Elizabeth. For the last few weeks, we have been in this series. And in this series, we're intentionally talking about what true worship really is. See, worship is not a plan or a performance. Worship is uh, not just the amount of time that we spend on this, with people on this stage singing during church. Worship is a heartfelt response to our awesome and amazing God that we serve. Y'all help me preach this morning. Worship is important. 
As a matter of fact, whether you have really worshipped you individually, worship is also an individual thing. Whether you have actually really worshipped yet or not, um, worship is the sole purpose for which you came into this place today. You may say, oh, I came because so-and-so wanted me to come. Well, guess what you came to? You came to a worship service. That's why we're here today. And I, I pray that we would never spend our time and our efforts getting to the house of God to neglect to do what we actually came here to do. So here's a few things that we've talked about so far in this series. True worship is not dependent on the atmosphere. True worship will change the atmosphere. True worship is not about my worth. Somebody say, thank God. True worship is about His worth. True worship is giving our all to God and holding nothing back. True worship cannot be silenced by our circumstances. Our worship also does not offset our sin. But true worship will involve separating ourselves from sin. True worship. My worship doesn't have to sound or look like your worship. And some of y'all said, thank the Lord. Guess what I said? Thank the Lord. Because if I moved as often as some of y'all, I wouldn't move very much, right? True worship will drown out the voice of discouragement in your life. True worship will cause you to praise when praise doesn't even make any sense. And today, we're going to talk about what it looks like to worship under fire. See, the Bible delights in contrasts. Uh, in fact, that's one of the most powerful aspects of the Word is that time and time again you will see in the Word where they take something negative and they'll turn it and oppose it with something positive and powerful. Uh, for instance, take, and I don't have time to go into these Bible stories today. If you don't know the story, go back and study it. It'll be good studying for you. But uh, take, for instance, the stories in the Bible of Cain and Abel. Take the story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, contrast in the Bible. Take the story of David and King Saul. Take the story of John, whom was the disciple uh, Jesus loved, and Judas, who was the disciple that betrayed Jesus. Take Paul and Nero. There's, there's story after story, circumstance after circumstance, situation after situation where the Bible gives us contrast. And today, at the center of this story that I've read to you, there's another character that is full of light and righteousness. And he is compared to a character who is not. We have Jehoshaphat on one side who was the king of Judah. And then on the other side we have Ahab and his sons who were the kings of Israel. Now, here's what Ahab had done. Ahab and his family had tried to destroy the worship of the true God in Israel. They had made it their goal to abolish and do away with worship of the true God. But the Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat sought the God of his father and he walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel or not after the doings of Ahab and his family. Jehoshaphat, the Bible says, was the second king of 
Judah to do right in the eyes of the Lord. And in his 25-year reign, he led a rather extensive campaign to abolish idolatry that had been left in the land from his father Asa's reign. While Asa was reigning in Judah, a lot of idolatry sprang up. And Jehoshaphat not only destroyed the false worship, but he initiated constructive programs that would help the people. First of all, he sent Levites throughout the land to teach the law of Moses to the people. Uh, He also appointed judges to help them administer the covenant of the polity, uh, the covenant polity of Israel. He also fortified cities and made them more secure, and he strengthened the military. And he also trusted God to give him leadership when he had to go forth into battle. Because how many know sometimes we're not given a choice as to whether or not we have to go to battle, we sometimes wake up in the battle. And Jehoshaphat was one of the most righteous and godly of the kings of Judah. And on this particular day that we read about this morning, God would fight his battle for him. But it did not appear that way in the beginning. He found himself in a place of great chaos. Now whether most of us are willing to admit it or not this morning... Much of what God does always occurs in the middle of chaos. If you are looking for the hand of God to come down and move in a particular place and time, you probably don't need to look to a place of peace and serenity. Right? But you rather ought to be looking where things are messed up, out of order, out of kilter. Anybody glad that God moves in the midst of mess-ups? And in the Word of God, it started that way, and it has always been that way, and it will end that way. You see the pattern from Genesis to the book of Revelation. In Genesis, which is the seedbed of the Bible, out of chaos, we find God speaking creation into existence. And that seems to be the pattern that develops to be uh, in and around anything that God is doing. We read about light coming to pierce the darkness. We read about land that just emerges out of the tossing sea. We read about water that comes out of the rock in the wilderness. We read about manna falling from heaven in the wilderness. We read, we read about victory uh, from coming from the jawbone of a donkey when Samson slew a thousand Philistines. We read about salvation coming from a scarlet cord that was hanging out a window in the story of Rahab. Whether or not you know those stories or not, I came to tell you this morning, no matter how difficult it may seem, God is always ready to bring something out of your chaos. The whole 20th chapter of 2 Chronicles is really evidence that God works in special ways for those who find themselves under fire. See, there are some principles that can help us see the hand of God. In every situation that we face. In a nutshell, Jehoshaphat finds himself in a vulnerable position. Having to defend himself on not one but two fronts. He was trapped in an ambush between the children of Moab and Ammon on the one side. And then the warriors of Mount Seir on the other side. He was under 
fire. Has anybody besides me ever felt like you had it coming at you from all directions? That's where Jehoshaphat was. And when you study deeper this passage of Scripture, the first thing that stands out to me is that the warriors who are attacking Judah and Jerusalem came from an old mistake from generations prior to Jehoshaphat. If you don't know who the Moabites and the Ammonites are, you need to know first of all who Moab and Ammon were. Moab and Ammon were the products of an incestuous relationship that uh, Lot had with his daughters after they had fled from Sodom and Gomorrah. That's who we were dealing with here. And all of the years had passed and they had continued to agitate and provoke both Israel and Judah at every opportunity that they had. And all throughout the Bible, we find people that ended up under fire because of somebody else's mistake. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were punished for eating the forbidden fruit, which was a mistake made by Eve because she was tricked by the serpent. In the book of Exodus, we read the Israelites were punished with plagues because of Pharaoh's refusal to release them from slavery. We read about Abraham's mistake with Hagar, and that's still troubling us to this day. We read stories about the lost axe head, the ark carrying uh, the cart that was carrying the ark of the covenant. We read about what happened when the fire went out on the altar. Is there anybody else in the room this morning that's ever found yourself under fire because of somebody else's mistake? You weren't even involved until you were drawn in by their choices. And you just got caught in the crossfire. See, that's the way it is with many difficulties of this life, always fighting and cleaning up after somebody else. But listen to your pastor this morning. Don't take it personal. I said don't take it personal. You just do what's right and what God's Word says to do, and watch God bring the deliverance. And because of this dreaded attack, Jehoshaphat began to fear. In fact, he was eaten up with fear. The devil has always had a heyday, and he still to this day is having a heydays with our fears in the midst of a difficulty. If he can cause us to fear, it has a way of killing our faith. Fear of defeat. Fear of failure. Fear of losing everything. Fear, some people have a fear of backsliding. A lot of people live in a fear of sickness and disease. Some people live in a fear of their spouse leaving. Some people live in fear of their children growing up to not serve the Lord. And some people live in a fear of temptation that it's going to overtake them. But you hear me well this morning. A true man or woman of God cannot be mastered by their fears. I didn't say you won't have them. I said you cannot be mastered by them. You can say, yes, I see the situation. 
Yes, I see my resources. Yes, I see what it looks like. But I also see my God and what he can do. And even though fear blinded him, Jehoshaphat knew that this danger that he was facing, it could potentially overpower his throne. It could take over the nation. But he could not allow himself to believe that his enemies were stronger than his God. And to revisit the idea of contrast in the Bible, I want you to consider that even though through deep fear, Jehoshaphat found a place of prayer. It was not a perfect prayer. In fact, it started with questions, but it was the nature of the questions that Jehoshaphat allowed to build his faith. See, there are times in prayer that our questions need to become a revelation of who God is. Are you with me this morning? And not just of what he's going to do or what we need him to do. Read with me verses 5 through 13 of this same chapter. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the middle of the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, if we die, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and save us. But now, there's always a but, isn't there? But now. Here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See the possession you gave us as an inheritance. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God. Another question. Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We know not what to do. But our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. This is a way that the devil never wants you to discover how to pray. He never wants you to learn to pray like this. Because instead of the questions leading to doubt and discouragement, the questions started recharging the faith of Jehoshaphat and the people. Sometimes it's good to remind God of what he's already done. Not because he's forgotten, but because you have. It's not wrong to question. Can I get a witness this morning? Just make sure the questions are moving in the direction of the power of God and not in the direction of the power of our enemy. So now let's read what happened in verses 14 through 17. Then the Spirit of the Lord 
came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Then he gives instruction and he says, tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. And he says again, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat's faith-filled prayer started turning something over in the whole nation. It started doing what Paul liked to call stirring up the gift. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? They began to pray. And as they began to pray, the Spirit of the Lord began to move. What happened here? Let me put it in modern day terms for you. It caused the Holy Ghost to move and speak in the midst of the congregation. Can I get a witness this morning? Some of y'all say, I don't understand what happens when that happens. And I don't understand why it happens around here. Listen, it was happening in the Old Testament. Hello, somebody. The Spirit of the Lord began to move. We read that Jehaziel stood up in the middle of the congregation and he gave a word of prophecy from the Lord. Listen this morning. It was a result of prayer. Our prayers do not define God, but they do cause Him to reveal Himself to us through the chaos of the situation. Notice what happens next, verses 18 and 19. We already read it, but I want to read it again. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in what? Worship. Before the Lord. Had anything changed yet? They were still in the middle of the fire. They still had the Moabites and the Ammonites on one side. And the warriors of Mount Seir on the other. Nothing had changed yet. But they prayed. The Lord spoke. And then they worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up. And what did they do? What did they do? Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. How'd they praise Him? With a loud voice. Listen, our praise, I told you about our prayer. Our praise also does not define God. But the Bible tells us what God does when we praise. I didn't give Sierra this passage of Scripture, but Psalm chapter 22 and verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of His people. Now, what does it mean, Lonnie, if I come to inhabit your house? Uh-huh. I, I'm not just coming in. He said it. I'm moving in. What would y'all think if I showed up with some of my stuff at your door? You'd say, well, I guess first lady's had enough. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. He inhabits. He moves in. God moves in on the praises of his people. In other words, God comes down and he takes up 
residence. Are you with me? He moves in when his people start to praise him. You want to find God in the middle of your chaos, you just stop what you're doing and begin to praise him. And that's exactly what happened here. They heard a word from the Lord. God is going to fight the battle. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this great army that you see in front of you. The battle is not yours because it belongs to God. And they heard the word of faith come from the prophet. And then they fell before the Lord worshiping. They had fasted. They had prayed. And now it was time to praise. Now, Dr. Tony Evans, who wrote the study that I'm doing on Wednesday nights right now, says that we can hold God hostage to His Word. Now, when I first read that statement, studying the chapter for last Wednesday night, I thought, man, that's a strong statement. I had to process it and think about it for a few minutes. Because first of all, how many knows that we cannot force God to do anything? Right? But I had a, one of those revelation moments. But when it's in his word, are you with me this morning? It's like money in the bank. Some preachers say you can take it to the bank. But I came to tell you this morning, you don't even have to take it to the bank. If it's in God's word, it's already been deposited in the bank of heaven. And all you got to do is spend it. I wish somebody would help me preach up in here this morning. And sometimes when you find yourself under fire, hear me this morning, you've got to praise him based on what you know and not on what you see. See, what I see might look impossible. But what I know is with God all things are possible. What I see might be that we're outnumbered. But what I know is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What I see, I'm preaching better than y'all are helping me this morning. What I see is that it we may be surrounded on all sides and on all fronts. But what I know is it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And when you're under fire and you want to be a true worshiper, get your battle strategy together. It's okay to map it out. And plan it out in advance. I'm going to preach something untraditional to you today. Some of y'all say, "Now, wait a minute, Pastor. I got to feel it. I got to feel it. Can I tell you that if I showed up for church on the Sunday mornings that I felt it, Y'all have to get a pulpit committee together. Some of y'all are waiting to feel it all the time. But I came to tell you, it's okay to step back, map it out, and plan it out in advance. 
You can wait on thunder and lightning from heaven to move you if you want to. But I'm going to be over here in the corner somewhere planning out my praise. Spending what's already in the bank of heaven. I can tell some of y'all don't like that. I can. I wish that we could have a church full of people that are not dependent on a feeling. What could we do, not just in the city of Corbin, but in the Tri-County area, and maybe even the state of Kentucky, if we had just a handful of people that says, I don't feel a thing, but bless God, I'm going to praise Him anyway. Let me read what happened next. Verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. I'm almost finished. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. And he appointed men to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They got their battle plan together. Did the situation look any different yet? But they got their battle plan together. Jehoshaphat said something a little like this. Here's what we're going to do, boys. Some of y'all are singers. How many knows everybody ain't called to the worship team? Just turn on some live stream from all across the Tri-County area this afternoon when you get home. And you'll find out some people are not called to the worship team. But he said, some of y'all are singers and some of y'all are praisers. Now everybody may not be called to be on the worship team, but guess what everybody can do? Did you hear me? So Jehoshaphat said, some of y'all are singers, and some of y'all are praisers. So I'm going to need some of y'all to sing, and some of y'all to praise. But I just need you to understand that I need all of y'all to do one or the other. Can I get a witness this morning? Because we don't need anybody standing around just taking up space. I wish somebody would help me preach in this house today. I said we don't need anybody standing around just taking up space. Maybe you can't sing. Maybe you can't teach a class. Maybe God's not called you to prison ministry. But you can praise you can praise God if he's given you breath. We don't need anybody in this army just taking up space. He said, I'm going to need some of y'all to sing and some of y'all to praise. Now watch what happened. In verse 22. Can I tell you, I didn't expect to feel that. And I need to catch my breath so I can read verse 22. As, watch this, it's important. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes 
against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And watch this. I love this. And after they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they destroyed each other. Can I tell you, the devil loses his full mind when you begin to praise in the middle of your chaos. They didn't even realize who they were killing. They just went on a killing spree. And while the people of God were singing and praising, God was fighting the battle for them. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again this morning because some of y'all need the revelation. While you worship, he wars. (laughs) I said, while you worship, he wars. Now, I'm almost finished. Listen to me. It's easy to praise the Lord after the victory has taken place. But the real question is, can you praise him before the victory takes place? And it's personal. Will you still worship him in the heat of the battle? Will you worship him in those moments that you find yourself under fire? See, true worship, true worship is worship that continues even when under fire. Can I tell you that in my life and in my years of ministry, nothing has got under my crawl more than somebody who can only praise God when everything's going to suit them. They're the loudest. You see them. They can, I've even known them that could dance pretty. How many even know what I'm talking about? I remember some used to talk about one lady and say, oh, she's got the prettiest dance and the prettiest shout. Catch her on a bad day. I ain't kidding. I love her. I hope she makes heaven, but I've caught her on a bad day. She's meaner than, I'll leave that right there. Catch them on a bad day. But true worship. Yeah, you worship him when you're on the mountain. But true worship is when you do what Shauna talked about this morning. Even when you find yourself in the valley. Even when you find yourself caught in the crossfire. Even when you find yourself facing sickness. Even when you find yourself with no money in the bank. Even when you find yourself without a job. Even when you find yourself that your spouse has left you for somebody else. Even when you find out your best friend has betrayed you. Even when you get a diagnosis from the doctor that says you don't have long to live. When you can give God praise in the middle of your chaos. I'm telling you, you'll find him stepping on the scene. They can go ahead and come to the music this morning. I want you to notice, Jehoshaphat did not resort to the first weapon, the first catapult, the first army, 
the first chariot or the horse. He simply prayed, he fasted, he worshipped, and then he praised the Lord. Now, you can worship the Lord without uttering a sound. You can stand, you can lift your hands, you can close your eyes, you can meditate on Him, you can say in your heart, Lord, I love you, but never let a sound leave your lips. But if you're going to give Him praise, you got to open your mouth. I said, if you're going to give Him praise, you have to open your mouth. Somebody said, I don't understand why they do that. Will you explain to me why I act like a fool when the Red Hounds get a touchdown? You explain to me why people go bonkers when their team's winning. You explain to me why they get angry when their team's losing. Hello, somebody. Last week was the first game I week before last was the first game I think I've ever seen where two players were ejected from the game I had two firsts this week I also preached a funeral yesterday outside I've been at outside weddings and outside funerals I don't even know why I'm telling you this I'm just telling you where somebody passed out but we were 33 minutes in one passed out everybody went running over to him and I kid you not another one passed out one of the sisters who's never even been to church here the other sister comes to church here sometimes. But one of the sisters who's never even been to church here and was raised in a Baptist church, she said, well, she said, I sat there and thought to myself, we've invited Pastor Sean to preach this funeral and we're having a Holy Ghost meeting and don't even know it. I said, no, I saw the first boy when he went down. The Holy Ghost didn't have nothing to do with that. Two firsts this week. The first first was seeing two players ejected from the same game. They wasn't real happy. But they hadn't been shut out in years. Completely shut out. You won't make the devil mad. You shut him down. How do I do that, Pastor? When you open your mouth and give God praise. There was a formula in this story I just told you. I don't know if you caught it or not, so let me help you. They saw the situation. They called a prayer meeting and went to God about it. The Holy Ghost moved and spoke in the middle of the congregation. After the Holy Ghost spoke, they all bowed in worship. But nothing changed until they praised. You say, I don't understand why people do that. I don't understand why you think people have to do that. I don't understand why you don't understand that something happens in the heavenlies when you release your praise to a worthy God. It might sound crazy and look crazy to this world. Some people just don't get it, but you'll never get it till you try it for yourself. The scripture clearly ties the victory to their ability to worship and praise under fire. While they began to sing and praise, the Bible said God took up residence in their situation and He brought the victory. Notice it was not one moment before or one moment after. He synchronized 
his deliverance with their praise. Are you with me this morning? Stand with me all over the house. If you want God to step on the scene in your life, if you want him to show up in your situation, you have to learn to worship under fire. Now, can I tell you in closing, I'm going to read my last scripture. Your praise is the most powerful weapon that you possess. I said your praise is the most powerful weapon that you possess. Psalm chapter 34 verse 1 through 3 said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His what? His what? Shall continually be in my what? you got to open your mouth. And then he says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. If they're going to hear it, you got to let it leave your mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Keep in mind, when you magnify something, you're not making the object itself bigger. You're just making it look bigger to you. Now, I'm 47. I had LASIK surgery because I was blinder than a bat 15 years ago. And they told me that the day would come sometime between 45 and 55, Libby, I'd need readers, bifocals. But I've had perfect vision ever since, and I'm seeing that time coming because there's anybody besides me that thanks the Lord that you got a little camera on your phone that zooms in. Anybody ever hold that over top of something and zoom in? Yeah, I see your hands. As the preacher says, bless God, I see that hand. I do that. What am I doing, though? I'm magnifying it. The object itself is not bigger. I hope you get this. God's already as big as he's ever going to be. But when you begin to magnify him and praise him, you make him bigger in your situation. Are you with me this morning? When you choose to give God praise, regardless of what's happening around us, we increase our view of God in our own hearts, in our own mind, in our own eyes. And when we do that, we give Him the glory that is due His name. Because true worship is when we learn to worship and praise under fire.